Thank you for all that you've done for us. Be with us as we open your word. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. If you have a Bible, we are in Galatians chapter 6, and we are closing out, the, closing out this book this week. How many of you have ever been looking at pictures of yourself in the past, and someone sticks, uh, sticks a head over your shoulder and starts laughing uncontrollably uh, at what you used to look like? Anybody ever do that? <laughs> My, uh, I know sometimes we're, we're flipping through pictures of, of Jamie and myself in our high school years, and uh, Trinity will, will say, or one of my other kids will say, um, I can't believe you ever wore that. I'm like, are you kidding me? The 80s and 90s was the height of fashion. Uh, let's see, we had, we had guys that spiked their hair as high as they can and girls that poofed their hair as high as they can, use as much hairspray as possible. Uh, you remember the, the MC Hammer pants? Uh, as wide as possible in the thigh and, and as tight as you can be on the ankle. Uh, let's see, we had neon colors and jelly bracelets and jelly shoes. No, I never wore any jelly shoes, but uh, man, we, we were, I don't, I don't know, we were all about the height of fashion uh, back in, the, in those days. But one of the, the most uh, moments of, of the fashion industry changing had to have been the first time somebody decided to put a cross around their neck. See, to us, I don't, think it's, I don't think it's very strange to us. We, we see people wearing crosses all the time because today the cross is a symbol of religion. It's a symbol of salvation. It's a symbol of hope and love in, in Jesus, right? But when Jesus walked the earth and even when Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, the cross was a symbol of torture and cruelty. I, I'm sure most of you have heard this parallel, but for someone to put a cross around their neck or to hang a cross in their home would be as strange to, to someone back in those days as for us to see somebody open up a beautiful Pandora bracelet, but the charms that are on that bracelet are charms of a guillotine, of, a, of an injection needle, uh, of, of a hangman's noose, of an electric chair. Symbols of death to us, we would be like, why would anybody want that? That's what the cross was. And, and we have to keep that in mind as we, as we enter these final verses of Galatians today, because Paul is really going to, he's really going to highlight the cross. In fact, the cross is going to become the summary of Paul's life. But, and but it's so different because all the way here in this 21st century, the cross is nothing but, I mean, if you rub your hand on this cross, it's, it's smooth. And Joe, you, you finished this up really nice. This pole that, that this thing hangs on, it's just, this is beautiful. That's not what the cross meant in the first century. It was ugly. It was brutal. It was bloody. And it was violent. And Paul said, but it's everything. So we're going to finish up the, the, the remainder of, of Paul's letter to the Galatians. And if this is your first time with us or maybe the first time in a long time, I'm really sorry. We are finishing uh, this week an entire a series uh, through Galatians. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to be again in verse number 11 of Galatians chapter number 6. Verse number 11. Here's what Paul writes. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. So I just stop right there because here's what we have to understand. What Paul would be doing is he'd be dictating this letter to a scribe. 
But here, right at the end of the letter, he takes the pen and the scroll himself, and he begins to write himself. And so he's making a note. Hey, as you see the handwriting change, it's because I'm writing it. Look at these large letters. And many people say that Paul had some sort of an eyesight problem, and so his, his writing would probably be, be much different than someone who could see clearly. But it's, it's interesting to me. Like, I want to know, why does Paul write this himself? What is he going to close the letter with that says, I'm going to do this one on my own? Let's keep reading. Look at verse number 12. It says this. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. Now again, if I can pause here, this whole letter has been Paul talking to a group of Christians, to a group of believers who are being kind of forced by a group of false teachers to think that, hey, your faith in Jesus, that's good, but it's not enough. You must keep the law of Moses. And so Paul's, again, he's going to come back as he closes and he says, though there's people who are going to compel you to be circumcised. And then he says, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. So I picked out two reasons in these couple of verses why, why Paul is, is wanting to write this. And the first thing is, I think Paul's very, very key on making sure as he closes, I want you to know those false teachers who are telling you that you must keep the law, they are hypocritical, they are dangerous, and they must be removed. They're wolves in sheep's clothing, basically. They're trying to get you to do things they won't even do themselves. He says, they're, those who are circumcised, they're not even keeping the law themselves. They're only in it for themselves. Their whole point of trying to get you to do what they're saying is so that they can walk away and say, yep, got another one. Yep, got another one. Has nothing to do with you and your relationship with Christ. It has everything to do with that. And hey, we, we have spiritual leaders like that today, church. We have to be very aware as, as we listen to, to other people speak. And I'm not, I'm not at all trying to hold myself up as the, as the example or the epitome. I don't mean that in any way. But I do try to bring you the truth of God's word from God's word so you know it. But there are people who are able to take God's word and sometimes twist it in such a way that they don't really care about you and, and your relationship with God. They care about them and, and, and how much you're willing to give them. How many followers that they can they can gain and paul says no, no no see those people they as he said in the begins of verse 12 he said those people seek to impress people by means of the flesh they're absorbed by the works of man's hands and they're absorbed with works that are noticed by man but when we worry about what we can do and we worry about who sees us guess who we're not worried about the one we should be serving Man, Paul drives this point home. He says that they don't even keep the law themselves that they're trying to get you to keep the law of. And so steer clear of them. And, and when I was reading that, I was thinking, this is so similar to Jesus when he addresses the Pharisees in the New Testament. And he, he tells them, hey, you're, you're sitting at a table and you're 
counting out the tithe of your spices, but you're ignoring the weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy and faithfulness. You see, you got to understand what Jesus is doing. He's, he's talking to people who sit and probably in public areas are, are dropping the spices that they have and making sure they give that 10% tithe. Just got to make sure we get all this right because what people do is when they see someone living like that, they think, well, everything else must be just fine. And Jesus went right to the heart of the matter. He said, you want to tithe over spices, but you won't even give mercy to people who need mercy. You won't be faithful yourself. You won't love people the way you're supposed to love people. And man, when I read that, I think this is really striking at the heart of the American church. Because what we have to ask ourselves is, what's our focus on when we gather on a Sunday? I talked to a lady this week, and it was the first time I ever met her, and so I didn't know her well, but I had mentioned that I used to be a youth pastor, and she said, oh, I used to work with the youth at our church, and then she started laughing, and she said, you know what the hardest part about working with the youth at our church was? And I said, what? She said, the old people of our church. I, I don't understand what you mean by that. She said, we would bring these kids who needed Jesus. And they would sit in the seats of the old people who would say, get out of my seat. She said, they used to, we, we, we would work in the kitchen or we'd work in the cafeteria with these kids and we'd be cutting things and doing things to try to teach them about Jesus. And, and what was told to us was, hey, you can't go there anymore. Those kids are leaving a mess. She said one time somebody stopped one of, their, one, of the, one of the kids they brought to church that didn't know anything about church. It was their very first time at church and said something very critical to them about the clothes they wore to church. You can't come to church if you're going to dress like that. Whew. Have you ever thought those things, though? I mean, this, this, this property gets used seven days a week, heavily five days a week with school, and then we have church here. You know, we, we, we can either walk into a room that is, is a little bit messy and think, you know what, praise the Lord that there are people in here to make a mess. Or we can say, man, how come this didn't look the way that I wanted it to look today? And I think sometimes we, we, we really struggle with where our focus really is because I, I promise you, and, and I know it happens in Page County, but this happens everywhere. There are people who are walking this morning into a dying church. It will not last one or two more generations. It is a dying church. And the people walking into the church, they know it's dying. But they're okay with it because they're comfortable. People look the way I want them to look. People sing the songs I want them to sing. People do the things the way I want them to be done. And there's no concern for the next generations to come. And I think one of the reasons Paul was so intent on trying to tell these Galatian believers, no, you cannot do what these, these Judaizers are telling you to do. Is he said, there's a generation coming behind you that they need to know the truth. And church, we have generations coming behind us that need to know that church is more than the clothes we wear. 
that the gathering on a Sunday morning is more than us singing a song that, that you're familiar with. I, I didn't know two of those Christmas songs that we sang this morning. I didn't know them. And we have the opportunity to sit back and say, I didn't know that song. Why don't they sing a song that I know? Or we have the opportunity to say, ha, I got two new songs now that I could sing praise to the Lord with. My voice as, the, as, the, as we wait, wait the, the celebration of Christmas. See, I, I really think like if we walked into this, this room, but, but lived our whole lives this way, but, but if, we, if we walked into this room and, and said, I, I'm gonna sit right here, but you know what? This seat isn't why I came to church. And so if somebody walks in the back door and is looking for a seat, they can have mine because I didn't come for the seat. But you know what a lot of people do? They stand in their, they sit in their seat like this, like, huh, hope they find one. Oh, we can't do that, church. That's not what the church does. We can't see somebody walk in who's not dressed just like we are and say, well, I cannot believe that somebody would come. No, no, What we need to do is we need to get off of our seat and we need to walk up to somebody, shake a hand and say, we're so thrilled you are here to join us in worshiping our Savior today. But a lot of times we just stare. It's, it's, it's the story of the good, it's the parable of the good Samaritan all over again. Jesus is not looking for a bunch of prim and proper priests who are on their way to do religious activity. He is looking for good Samaritans who have a heart that says, I'll get off my beast. I will care for their wound. I will wrap them up. I will invest myself into them. I will place them on my beast. I will walk with them and I will pay whatever needs to be paid for their care. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. But it's, it's, it's got to force this church to ask the questions, why do I do what I do? Do I want to impress people by means of the flesh? Do I want my outward actions to be noticed by the people around me? I, I, I still, and, and, and she's not here so I can say this, but I, I still am blown away by the fact, you know, Brian, about where you are. I, I was, it was that Sunday, Jimmy, where our church poured out their love on you. you. You were standing here. I was standing near the middle of the, of the aisle and one of our widows walked up to me and, and she said very quietly to me, she said, the, she said, I worked an extra day this week and I really didn't know why, but now I do. Will you give this money to that man up there? And all I thought was, this is a real life. This is a real life widow who gave her two mites, just like, just like what happened when Jesus was there. Like we're watching. We're watching people standing up and, and helping Jimmy. We're watching people who are, who, who are giving, but, but maybe may giving of their, their excess in, in some ways. And this woman, this, this, this wonderful widow just comes and says, I, I don't want to go up there. Just give this to him. I thought, Phew. That's what it's all about. That's why, that's why our right hand is not supposed to let our left hand know what we're doing because, man, when our right hand knows what our left hand is doing, we want you to know what both of those hands are doing. But doing good's not always easy, right? We know that. That's why, that's why Paul said last week, as we looked at earlier in chapter six, don't grow weary in doing good. You're gonna get tired if you do good because, because as you love God and as you love people, he's going to bring you opportunities to do good to people that are gonna going to weary you out it's going to tire you but don't 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 stop he sees it he sees it and that's what's most important 
He also says there at the end of verse 12, he says the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cost of, for the cross of Christ. So I think Paul's really, really, really wanting to show the hypocrisy of the Judaizers, but he's also wanting to show the offense of the gospel. I think the majority of you in here would know this, but the word gospel means good news. Then why would the good news be offensive? Why would the good news cause someone to have to be persecuted? But we don't have to go past Paul's own life to understand that. Because Paul, if you remember the beginning of Paul's life, Paul was a man who persecuted people who followed Jesus while Paul was a religious Jew. Because what the gospel does is the gospel steps into people's lives and it blows up everything that we thought things should be like. You see, the gospel is very offensive to the liberal world. Because the gospel says there's only one way. Oh man, people don't like that. When Paul was writing this, this letter to the Galatians, he was in the middle of an area that was, was filled with all kinds of multiple gods. And, and, and people were fine with you having your God and they would have their God and you could practice your way and they could practice their way. And what, what Paul is doing is he's trying to bring a new way of worship and he's trying to say, hey, there is only one God. And that brings offense to people who say oh wait, there's many ways to god well i can do it my way and you could do it your way well, you can believe that but i'm not the one who said i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father no one comes to the father except through me i didn't say that Jesus said that. The Son of God said that. The Messiah of the world said that. The Deliverer of the world said that. The one who went to the cross and was buried three days and then rose from the grave. The one who did that that no one else has ever done. He's the one who said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So the gospel steps right into that liberal mindset of I could do it my way. No, no, you, I'm sorry, but you can't. But the gospel is also very offensive to the conservative moral, the group of conservative and, and moral people. Let me, let me pause for a second. Is it getting cold in here? Yeah, because it was hot in here, and so we turned it down. Um, I don't know if, if one of you could just, yeah, I think people are getting cold. Sorry about that. The gospel is offensive to the morally conservative because here's what the gospel tells you. You can be as good as you want. You still can't earn your way to heaven. Go ahead, compile up as many good works as you want. That's not your ticket to eternal life. See, as, as, long as, as long as the cross is a help to me, I'm still earning my own salvation. Well, then salvation comes down to me. But see, what the gospel does is the gospel takes everything out of your hands and says, no, you can't do anything to earn your way to the Father. Your only hope is your faith in Christ. That's it. That's, that's all you've got. I sat in a, in a hospital room this week with a man who, whose time on earth is limited. And I was in, invited by the family to talk with him and to, to just meet him and, and talk with him. And, and I sat there and as I, as I love to ask people, I got to talk about family and a lot of other things. And I sat down and, and he asked, asked me to pull up a chair. 
I sat there and I, we talked for a while and I said, I have this question that I love to ask people all the time. If God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and ask you this question, why should I let you into my kingdom? How would you answer that? I asked that question all the time to people. And he said, he started talking and he started telling me many good things that he's done. Not pridefully, not arrogantly, but many good things that he'd done in his life. He told me about being generous to people. Generous to people who didn't deserve him being generous to them. And he wasn't arrogant. He wasn't prideful. He was just telling me this is what he did. So when he got done talking, I said, so can I sum that up for you? If God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? Your answer would be, because I tried to be a really good person while I was here on earth. And he's like, yeah, I'd probably say that. I said, can I ask you one more question? He said, sure. I said, if you can be good enough to get to heaven on your own by just being good, why did Jesus have to die? And he looked at me. And he said, I don't know. But I hope you'll tell me. And we sat there for the next 25 minutes. I shared with him the good news of the gospel. And when it was all done, I said, so do you believe that Jesus was the Messiah that God sent to this world so that he could deliver us from the sin we cannot deliver ourselves from? Because it doesn't matter how much good we have. That, that's, not, that's not our ticket to heaven, how much good we have. It's this sin that keeps us out. What do we do with the sin? I said, do you believe that Jesus was the Messiah that God sent so that he could go to this cross so that he could take our sin upon him? And, and when, he, when he looked up and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in that moment where he was bearing my sin and, and God turned from him so that God could turn to me now that I'd be free from sin because of Jesus. I said, do you believe that Jesus is Savior of the world and the Lord of all? And he said, I do. Amen. And we prayed together. It was, it was a really, really wonderful time. But as I, as I left and started walking out of his room, the man had been in, in church. I wouldn't say all of his life, but he'd been in church. And I thought, how many churches are telling the people that gather there, it's up to you. It's up to you. Do good. It's up to you. And Jesus becomes so offensive even to churches sometimes that this cross is so offensive that we can't earn our own way that it's just... It's just a relic. It's just a decoration in the room. See, eternal life, church, eternal life is not, it's not about living forever. I know it's what eternal life is, but, 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 but we, find, we find in the book of John, Jesus defines eternal life. He's preaching, or he's praying to his father, and Jesus says, now this is eternal life. And you would say, well, this is eternal life, living forever. This is eternal life, never dying. This is eternal life where you don't ever have to go into... No, he doesn't say anything about death. He doesn't say anything about the grave. 
Eternal life is that, you, that they know you, Father. They know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not a living forever. Eternal life is a relationship. When I am in Christ, my relationship is in Christ. Guess what happens? If Christ lives forever, so do I, because I'm in him. Man, this cross is our way to the Father. Only through Jesus. Peter would say in the book of Acts, there is no other name under heaven, given under heaven by which you must be saved. One way, and it's Jesus. And Paul got that right. Because this is what he says in verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, but, but he doesn't just say that the cross is my, is, is my way of forgiveness of sins, although it is, and he's talked about that throughout this letter. Notice what he says. Through, through the cross, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. It's more than just I've been forgiven of my sin and I have a heavenly home awaiting me. No, 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 no. He says what this cross represents is not just eternal life. What this cross represents is that in this present life, right now, that world doesn't matter to me anymore. It's been crucified. I am dead to that world. It's not that the world has died, but it's that the world has died died to me because now my all everything I live for is that I will live a cross centered life everything I do will be central to the cross I'm going to come back and finish in just a moment but let me read through the rest of these verses with you as Paul Paul talks about the centrality of the cross let me let me read the rest of these verses verse 15 says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything what counts is the new creation you know what, what paul says paul's saying this he says it doesn't matter i'm not superior if i'm circumcised i'm not inferior if i'm not circumcised it has nothing to do with what i have done myself what has everything to do with is what christ has done in me because the bible the bible tells us that when we become in christ when we are crucified with christ when we anyone is in christ he becomes a new creation that's not a work we do our good works don't give us new creation only Christ gives us the power to become a new creation. And Paul says, I'm not going to talk about what I can do with circumcision or what I don't do with circumcision. I'm only going to talk about what he's done in me. He has made me a new creature. He goes on and says, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. And, and Paul's not, I want to just clearly explain this. Paul's not giving you a new rule to live by. He's giving a way of life. The gospel is a, is a way of life. And, and those who understand the gospel, those who, who follow the, the ruling of the gospel, understand that we will find peace because here's what the gospel says. It's not up to me to make things right with God. Jesus has made things right with God for me. Oh, man, that's, that's peace. It's not up to me. The cross brings me mercy. I don't, know, I don't know how bad you failed yesterday. I failed, but here's the thing. There was enough mercy on the cross to cover it all. That's, that's the way of the gospel. <laughs> and that's really good news. And so Paul says, I want to boast in the cross. He says in verse 17, from now on, 
Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Oh, now this is good. You got, you got to think through this, right? So Paul, he's a circumcised Jew. On the eighth day, as he tells his, his, uh, his testimony in other letters, he writes, on the eighth day, I was a circumcised. I was the Hebrew of the Hebrew. Paul bears the mark of circumcision on his life. But that's not the mark of Jesus. But he says, I bear on my body the mark of Jesus. And what Paul is referencing to is Paul is, in many ways, as you could picture, he'd be just reaching down and laying down that robe that he would wear to show you the back that was beaten and whipped and the stones that hit him and no doubt had caused all kinds of damage to his exterior body. And Paul is saying, hey, hey, don't, don't tell me that I need to get circumcised or not. I've got the marks of Jesus on my body and the mark of Jesus is suffering. So that doesn't sound like a very good mark. Yeah, I know, but, but Jesus is the one who said, hey, don't be surprised when men hate you and revile you. They hated me first. Jesus is the one who said, unless you deny yourself and pick up your cross, you cannot follow me. Jesus is the one who said, you will have sorrow. John 16, he says it so, says as plain as he can be, you will have sorrow in this life. You will sorrow. Now that sorrow will be turned to joy. That joy is going to happen when you see me again and no one's going to take that joy away from you. But Jesus is the one that very clearly says, hey, you want to have the mark of Christ in your life? You will suffer. So you know what that, what that does to us, church? That says when we go through difficult things, we're okay. It's not surprising him. It shouldn't surprise us, but we keep our hope where it needs to be. And we keep, while we have marks on our body, we continue to keep grace in our spirit. Which is why Paul closes with those words, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Your body may be marked up by the flesh, by the beatings of those around you, but your spirit Spirit should continually be bathed in the grace of Jesus Christ. He opens his letter with grace. He closes his letters, closes this letter with grace. And I just want, want to go back one more to this verse and just say one more thing. Because this to me is where Paul sums up his ministry. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I was studying this, I came across a quote by Tim Keller that has, I think as time has gone on since I wrote this quote down, it has continued to mean more and more to me. This is what he says. If someone understands the cross, it is either the greatest thing in their life or it is repugnant to them. If it is neither of those two things, they haven't understood it. <laughs> we, I, I understand there might be others in this room that may not claim to be devoted followers of Jesus, but I would guess the majority of us would say, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a Christian and I would want to honor and follow Christ. Can I ask you, if you would say that, is the cross of Christ the greatest thing in your life? 
do you live like it is? Because I don't think it to any of us in this room that, that the cross is repugnant to us. It, 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 we don't, we're not offended by the, the cross to say, I don't, we, like we're, we're followers of Jesus. And so that cross is meaningful to us. But what Keller is trying to, to point out to Christians is he's saying, if the cross isn't the most important thing in your life, you haven't fully understood it. And it's important because what this cross does is what Paul said earlier. He said, through the cross, the world is crucified to me and I am crucified to the world because so many of us live for the applause of the world. Oh, like me. Oh, love my social media posts. Oh, let me, tell me I'm good. What can I do to impress you? How can I get you to notice me? How can I win your attention? We live for the attention of the world. And Paul said, no, actually, if you live a cross-centered life, I don't have to live for the world. And that brings great freedom because I don't have to worry about gaining the world's attention when I already have the acceptance of a heavenly father. I don't have to have the world, have someone from outside of the world say, hey, we really like you. That's okay. You don't have to like me. I am loved. I am beloved of my father. And that gives us so much freedom to just be who we want to be it should it should give you freedom in this church to be who you really should be i was talking to a guy this past week and this is what he said he's like yeah i go to a church and and, and i'm not trying to i'm not trying to twist any arms so don't don't get me wrong he's like i go to church where, where some people they raise their hand while they sing he's like i grew i never grew up like that he's like I just don't, like, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And I said, hey, okay. Don't worry about it. Like, who cares? If you don't want to raise your hand, then don't raise your hand. But if you do want to raise your hand, who cares if anybody else sees you raise your hand? You're not singing for the applause and the attention of people around you. You are dead to the world around us. We are alive to him and to our body. And man, I, I mean, sometimes I sit over there and I get really excited about songs and I've had somebody tell me, I've had somebody tell me, but like, you need to settle down a little bit. <laughs> hey, guess what? I'm not praising you. I'm not celebrating you. So I know it doesn't really matter if you really like my way of worship or not. I'm doing it for him. There is an audience of one that I want to receive all of my glory and all of my praise. And if I'm going to raise my hands, I'm not doing it thinking, oh, who's going to see me do this? I'm doing it because, man, I know when I stand in front of Jesus one day and we stand in the glories of heaven, my hands are going to be raised as high as they can go. I'll be on my tiptoes doing it. So why on here on earth would I be hesitant to do something that I know I'm going to do in glory? But see, that wasn't said for applause or attention. It was said because it's for him. So let me close. Here's my encouragement to you. Daily rehearsing the gospel, it will grow your love for God. Go, go back to the gospel every day. Go, somehow, go to the gospel every day. D 
just don't just open up your Bible and, and read a couple of verses and close it. Go to the gospel and remind yourself of what Christ has done, who he is and what he has done for you. As you grow in your love for God, he's going to provide you opportunities to love others. So get ready. You see, here's the thing. Like, Greg, we're talking about loving others right here in this moment. Guess what? When you leave these doors, maybe even before you leave these doors, you're going to have an opportunity to love somebody. Guess who's giving you that opportunity? Yeah. Yeah, he wanted me to say something that's going to put something on your heart so you're ready, so you're primed and ready to help somebody else. And you love others. It's going to lead you to live as Christ lived. This, this cross-centered life means that's how I live my life. I lay my life down for those who hate me. I do good to those who do bad to me. I pray for those who talk about me. I love my enemies because of the cross. And then celebrating the cross. Man, it, it'll free you from the world. Some of us are so worried about what everybody else thinks. Don't worry about it. Focus on what he thinks because he's the one who gave it all for you to have eternal life, which is knowing Jesus. And we're going to pray in just a moment. And then, and then Aaron, would you, would you come? Just, just Aaron, I'd love for, for us just to simply sing. And how much we do a cappella, how much we sing, I don't really care. Whatever you and Miss Carolyn want to do. We're just going to sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And, and hey, hey, there's, there's a verse in this song that we normally don't sing. And it talks about being crucified to the world and the world being crucified to me as I survey the wondrous cross. Would you pray with me? Man, God, you are so good. 